0: We come to our um, our Bible readings for this morning. Our first one comes from 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 30. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1 through 30. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month, uh, in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark and they brought up the Ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, And all the holy vessels that were in the tent, the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim but the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary but they could not be seen from outside and they are there to this day there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David my father, saying, Since since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be uh, over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, You did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark, And which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention uh, to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to this plea, O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant And of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place and listen in heaven, in your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Our second reading comes from Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through to the end of the chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices uh, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. You shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the the Lord seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our Father in heaven, we thank you again, as we do every week, that you are a God who speaks, who has spoken from the beginning, and creation came into existence. And you will speak at the end, and you will speak forever. So, Lord, we ask now that your word would indeed speak to us that your spirit would come and quicken our hearts and cause us to listen profoundly lord that you would in some way by your power make us attentive that you will change us such that we would live for your glory we pray these things now in Jesus name amen morning chapel street Morning to the folks online as well. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be back, and it's good to be back here together again. I don't know about you, but I've really missed it. I know we're not allowed to sing, but it's still really good to be here together and online. We're, we've come to the last festival in the Old Testament, the feasts that as a church we look at every year, I think it's very important because they pertain to us. They pertain not just to the Old Testament, but to the new. And so it's good to be looking at them again. And the last one is very different to the others, the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'll go through why that is, but I want us to start by just remembering that the feasts aren't just feasts. They're not just celebrations that seem to be cool or good or relating to the things of the Old Testament. They relate directly to us. They're real pictures of the real promises that are really fulfilled in Christ. They pertain to his first coming and ministry. They pertain to his second coming and ministry. And they pertain to what's beyond that for us, for him. So we should listen very carefully. And this one, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, depending on which Bible version you're reading, is amazing. I think it's amazing. I hope you do by the end of today. And it's a feast that's full of joy. It's full of celebration. In the real sense, it's full of partying, not in the modern decadent sense, but in the godly sense. It's a jubilation of joy, and I want to start today with just a simple question that I'm sure we can answer straight away in our own minds, but that perhaps we need to consider again, and that is, what's Christianity fundamentally about? What's it all about? What is the objective that God has set in place in Christ? And I believe that the Feast of Booths answers that question for us. So listen, I might be wrong and you'll need to tell me if I'm wrong. I don't believe I am, but we'll see. If it's right, then we really do need to listen. So the Feast of Booths, then, the Hebrew word for booth, for tabernacle, is sokot. It literally means dwelling. To dwell, to call in a congregation of people to dwell, to live together,
2: tent together, camp together, encamp together,
1: and the feast of booths, if we, as we've heard, read for us there by Jared in Leviticus, is seven days long. It's a big feast. Uh, I've never feasted for more than a day Um, some of you might disagree with that but I've certainly never feasted for seven days and it happens literally seven days after the atonement and if you remember from last week Wednesday just passed was the day of atonement and Israel shuts down and it remembers the Lord through the day of atonement well this Wednesday they will enact reenact the feast of booths it still happens to this day as instituted as we heard there by God through Moses. It's not a one-off thing. It's a thing that happened in perpetuity. seems like historically, there might've been a bit of a break, but I don't know exactly about that. It's there in Exodus, Leviticus, as we heard today in Deuteronomy. It's there in 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles. It's there in Ezra and Nehemiah at the re-establishment of the temple when the Jews or the Israelites returned from exile. And guess what? It's in the New Testament. And it's the story, as we've heard, of how God instituted an action of dwelling to live in tents, to be reminded that God specifically did something for the Israelites by freeing them from slavery and captivity in Egypt. It's a time to reenact it. In Jesus' time, it's happening. Every year it's happening. Today it's happening. What did they have to do? Well, literally, they came out of their houses and they went into temporary accommodation. They created tents. And so to kind of somehow enjoy what God had done thousands of years before to take part in what had happened, to remember it in that way. And they literally made booths. They made tents. The tents were made of wood in the corners. They made a frame and they put cloth around it. And on the roof, they didn't put cloth, they put trees and branches and leaves and even flowers. And there's this idea of being able to look through the provision that God had made for the Israelites to the stars that declare God's glory. It's the time of harvest. Anybody remember harvest festivals? That's celebrated at this time of year because it's the time of harvest in the Northern Hemisphere. (laughs) It's not so here, but we get the idea And they had to live in the tents for seven days. They had to feast in the tents for seven days. Yes, there were sacrifices. Sacrifices always continued or continued. They don't always continue now. And the priest would go down to the water of Siloam and collect water and bring it in and put it in the basin before the altar. It's a picture of purification in this. And the men at night would be outside the temple with torches, burning torches. How many men were there? Millions. Get a picture of this. This is big. This is a really big festival. Light in Jerusalem at night for seven days. It's a big picture. It's a time of immense happiness, a time of great joy for the people of Israel. The word I want to use is jubilation. (laughs) And I was trying to think of, what that's really like it's kind of hard for us to I think to get our heads around just how jubilant this festival was and the only poor example I could come up with is on the 8th of May 1945 anybody know what happened it was VE day victory in Europe and if you look at any of the newsreels of that day or any of the photographs millions of people go outside and party Not always in a good way, but you get this idea of jubilation, of masses of people happy, rejoicing. They've been freed from the Nazis in that particular example. The question for us is, why joy? The Day of Atonement is the sacrificial day when God covers Israel for their sin. But there's mourning in that. It's a very serious consideration of one's sin before god in fact you're cut off as we learned last week if you do not enter into it that way but this feast is joy happiness well there's a few reasons for that there's two primary reasons one is it's a celebration of god's provision the harvest is in and god has provided for us for this year He's provided for us in the atonement that's just happened a week before. So let's be
2: joyful. It is a picture of God's protection for the Israelites in the wilderness. The
1: promised land is 40 years away, just over, not very far away, if you look at the map, it's not far at all. They're close. It's a picture of God's peace and favor gained through the atonement security protection but the second reason is that it's a picture of the reality that God dwells with his people he tabernacles with his people he lives with them that's what it's a picture of people dwelling together It's a picture, isn't it, of God's foreshadowing of the promised land, when people will dwell together in peace and security. To this day, as I said, the feast of booths is practiced in Israel. A little bit different; they will still go out and make their little booths and put canvas on, and they'll put the branches on the top. But these days, it's considered okay if you don't live in the The booth for seven days. You have to go in there for food at least. You have to feast in there and have your uh, breakfast, your lunch, and your evening meal there, but you don't have to live there. Something is very different then at the very heart of the picture of the feast of booths. Around the 17th and 18th century, a new kind of well, it's a theology, but really it's, it's human philosophy came into the Christian story. Sadly, so it came out of England and it grew and it certainly became a big part of what's known as the Enlightenment. And that's deism. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Deism? That's not what it's called. Yes, the deists. The idea that God somehow created the world in the best possible way that he could, but He he set it up such that it was like a clock being wound up and that over time it would just tick away the planets would orbit earth the universe would be held together or just by some clever kind of mathematical building of it in a particular way and at the heart of that philosophy is the idea that God departs <laughs> he sets it up and then he leaves and it might well look like that to some of us where is God things are hard there are pandemics there is all well, kinds of striving and suffering throughout the world the truth is god has never deserted us god has never left his creation so it's a bad idea i think i'll leave now it doesn't seem to be working out very well in fact it's working out exactly the way he wanted the deists were wrong god has always desired to dwell to tabernacle with his people
2: always it's his goal it's his objective consider with me just a few instances
1: in the bible creation itself is a context for god to dwell with the creation with the people and he starts out dwelling with adam and eve he was there the bible says that he walked in the coolness of the afternoon he interacted with adam and eve they talked a law was given it was broken a separation came didn't it sin came into the world through the rebellion of adam but separation does not mean the absence of god it's very important that God is still there, even though Adam and Eve had sinned and they're cast out of this amazing, beautiful garden where they dwelt with God. Didn't bring the absence of God. And God visits people in the Old Testament. He visits Abraham. He talks to Abraham. He makes a covenant. He visits Isaac and Jacob. And think of people like Joseph. In all his travails and suffering, it says, and God was with him. God was with him. God is there. He's not abandoned his creation. As we've heard, he was there in Egypt. He visited his people. And through Moses, he spoke with signs and wonders. He expressed something of his greatness and his character. And ultimately provided this picture of the Passover lamb that we've heard about this morning he saved his people he brought them out of exile where to a wilderness not straight into the promised land in fact that entire generation didn't go into the promised land including Moses as Joshua and the next generation that went in As for the others, they were in the wilderness with God. We hear that God dwelt initially on Sinai, on the mountain. There was a cloud around him. People couldn't look on God because of that separation, but he was there. Moses would ascend the hill and meet with God, but he never see his face. And then in the middle of the camp, God said, That's where I want to be. Make for me a booth, make for me a tabernacle, a tent, a special one, because I want to dwell there. It literally says, and let them, says God, make me a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a dwelling that I may dwell in their midst. You see, God is coming down now, it's coming into the tabernacle, and if you look at the biblical picture of this, the tabernacle's in the center, and the tribes encamp around it. They're there with God. There's a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, and ultimately, he will lead them into the promised land. And then we learn, as we've heard from First Kings, God promises to build not a tent made of cloth but a magnificent temple and if you're unacquainted with the magnificence magnificence of it I suggest you read the bible because it's incredible absolutely incredible and we hear about how Solomon consecrates it in that passage he says this is where God's going to dwell He's going to remember his people. He's going to forgive them for their sin. Did you also notice that Solomon said, and he dwells in the heavens? God's in the temple. He's in the heavens. Did you notice that it was the feast of booths when he consecrated that? Think about that. This picture of God dwelling and practiced and enacted in the Feast of Booths is the time when the temple is consecrated, when God comes down as spirit and dwells in the temple. Wow. I find that amazing. And then in the exile to Babylon, prior to the exile, you have Jeremiah prophesying that God will bring this remnant of Israel back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He says, behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place. And I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. And Ezekiel, the prophet who's in the exile, looking forward through visions to the return also prophesies about God it's a text that we know really well I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh a malleable heart not a stubborn heart and I will put my spirit within you And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. God has always desired to dwell with his people. In person, by spirit. Did you hear that? In
2: person, by spirit and then in person by a man.
1: The Apostle John writes John's Gospel. At the beginning, he expresses that Jesus is the word, this communicative act of reason and truth. And in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, and the word became flesh. You know what it says next? And tabernacled and dwelt with us. God came in flesh as a man and dwelt. And John says, and we've beheld his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Interestingly, in John's gospel, it also records for us in chapter 7 that Jesus went down to the feast of booths. Isn't that amazing? You know, the Jews, in this time of year, went down and celebrated it at, at uh, Jerusalem, went up the hill into Jerusalem, and celebrated the Feast of Booths, where they remembered how God dwelt with them and provided provision, security, and this picture of dwelling together. And there they were, celebrating in, his, in Jerusalem. And the Son of God, who came to dwell with them, walked around during this feast. What an amazing concept, don't you think? I was thinking about it this morning. Maybe he went into one of the booths and feasted with people. Wow. that's an incredible concept. He was in the temple and he was in Christ as a man walking around during this time. And just think back to what I was saying earlier, how... The priests would go and get the water from the Pool of Siloam and take it up to the basin in front of the altar. And how the people would go out with their torches at night and the whole city was ablaze with light. There's jubilation. And Jesus goes down to that Feast of Booths. He goes in secret and then he discloses who he is. And he preaches. You know what he preaches on? He preaches on the fact that he's the living water. It's no mistake, is it? He preaches on the fact that he's the light of the world
2: i don't think the jews would have missed that illusion i hope we don't miss it today
1: and ultimately god desired to be with his people to dwell with his people so much that he went to the cross
2: and died suddenly gone The ultimate day of atonement, isn't it? It's the real Passover lamb. The reason that
1: Christ came was for this. And he dwelt with the people for that very reason. Born under the law, in human flesh, in the likeness of man, he dwelt. Just think for a moment what happened when Christ died on the cross. The temple that housed God in the Holy of Holies. What happened? The curtain was torn in two. Imagine what that was like. It fell open. In the Holy of Holies, there was no, God wasn't there. Something had changed. Something fundamental had changed about God dwelling with them in the temple by spirit when Christ died on the cross. God was in heaven. Heaven. Jesus' spirit was in heaven and in the resurrection, a man breathed life again. So we have hope because of that. Something changes about the way that God dwells at that point.
2: And he still dwells here. He still dwells here. How? In bodily form? No. He's
1: ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, what did he do? Well, the Father and the Son sent their spirit, their Holy Spirit, the prophecy of Ezekiel that we've just read about, heard about. His tabernacle, his dwelling place is you. It's now you. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of The living God?
2: The Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, he says, from God. The question isn't, does God desire to live
1: with his people? Does God desire to dwell with his people? The question is, does
2: people desire to dwell with him? Do you desire to live with God? Is that
1: your objective? Or are you just looking for a great life? Even in Christ, a blessed life. Even in struggles, a blessed life. Or do you desire to dwell with him? And the Feast of Booths is that picture. that is the reality. Not only that God desires to be with his people, but that he will be So let's return to our question then at the beginning what is christianity ultimately about what's really at the heart of it and sometimes we really are confused about that it's easy to pick on bits of rhetoric and christian speak that we know and are truths and often i think to the non-christian world we do not express this very well. We might say, well, it's about the cross, and you'd be right. You might say that it's about love, and you'd be right. It's about the fulfillment of the law, you'd be right. It's about the vindication of God's righteous character. Yes, God's glory, the forgiveness of sins, redemption, reconciliation salvation all of those things are true that is the Christian story but listen all of those things are not the end they're the means they're not the end the reason for them is the most significant thing but why why do we need salvation why do we need Christ to fulfill the law other than to vindicate his father's good character to
2: bring glory and praise to him well without it we can't dwell with god
1: cannot dwell with god as we've been reminded this morning there's a verdict there are two verdicts and two destinies one verdict is hell guilty the destiny is hell the verdict is guilty wickedness And the other verdict is declared righteous
2: because of the cross. And the destiny is to dwell with God.
1: They're not the end, those things. They're the means. Ultimately, it's about the Feast of Booths. This picture about dwelling with God, being with him in peace and security, perfect provision
2: with full forgiveness. That's why the Feast of Booths is so important. Another word for that might be heaven. We talk about heaven a lot, don't we? We
1: talk about it an awful lot. I was listening to a friend just recently whose husband died some years ago, and she was saying that she looks forward to heaven because she gets to see her husband I thought, "Mm." And then she said this, but when I get there, he'll have to wait. Because I see Jesus. I see him first. John Piper has said in a book, which I heartily recommend to everyone, it's called God is the Gospel, that if you, I paraphrase because I can't remember it exactly, but if you desire to be in heaven with all of its greatness, with peace, with no sin, perfect provision but you're content with that without christ then you've missed the point because the point is you get to dwell with christ you get to dwell with god that's why the feast of booth pictures this great thing dwelling with god but it's not just heaven it's a new heaven it's a new earth it's a new perfect picture it's the promised land
2: In closing, I just want to take you somewhere if I can right now to the real Feast
1: of Booths. You're in a booth right now. Did you know that? This is a tabernacle, isn't it? Does God dwell here? Yeah, he's in you. It's one of the reasons we come together as a congregation to dwell together, to live together. That's why church is so important, to be together with God, to hear from him, to praise him to pray to him
2: but there is a tabernacle to come a promised land to come and it's joyful
1: it's amazing if you think that you're going to heaven or the new heaven and the new earth and you're somehow going to be glum you've missed the point it's going to be the greatest jubilation there has ever been Read Revelation. It's
2: all about praising God, isn't it? The picture of heaven, seeing the lamb slain. I just want to read to you
1: Revelation 21, just a small passage for us. If you've not heard this before, turn to it. If not, just let it soak in by way of encouragement. John the Apostle says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Did you hear that from God coming down out of Not made on the earth, Created by us coming down from the new Jerusalem is coming
2: down from God. And it's just something so profound. The new Jerusalem,
1: it says, is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if we stop and think about that for a moment, what is the writer talking about? Bride? Bride?
2: Suddenly, it's a person. It's you. You're the bride of Christ. You come down from God the Father to be
1: with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. And then he says, I heard a voice, a loud voice, from the throne saying, look, the dwelling place of God is with man is the feast of booths he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them be with them as their god and then you know what comes next he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning and nor crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Does that make you joyful? It makes me joyful because it's coming. That's where we're going. Either Christ will return before we depart or we will depart and see this. Ultimately, we'll get bodies again. There will be jubilation. There will be no choice. You will not be able to help yourself with joy because you will be with
2: Christ, but... As we heard, there are two verdicts and two destinations.
1: You cannot get into this tabernacle of peace and provision and grace without Christ. That's why Christ dwelt with man as a man. That's what the cross does. It saves us to get into this perfect dwelling with God trusting in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work not trusting just in the finished work trusting in the person sometimes we talk about it as I trust in the cross it's just a piece of wood it's the person and what he did that we trust the finished work of Christ on the cross there's no other way The Jews right now on Wednesday, Wednesday, they're going to enact this Feast of Booths. But there is no God in the temple. It's ridiculous, isn't it? What are they doing it for? Well, it's good. They're remembering something that happened 6,000 or so years earlier. Maybe a bit less than that. That's good. But there's no God in the temple. The curtain was torn in two and God departed because God was Jesus Christ. And he's the one who ascended. They've got no spirit of God if they don't know Christ. So what are they doing? They're going through the motions. Their temple is desecrated. It might well be that it gets reestablished at the second coming, but right now, no, it's actually been taken over by Satan. The Jews can't go anywhere near it. It's terrible. But we're not like that. We can receive Christ. Christ. We can receive forgiveness so that we can go through the cross, if you will, to this
2: perfect tabernacle. And the question for you and for me is, are you going there? Are you going
1: to the tabernacle in the promised land where you can dwell with God in peace
2: forever, in joy forever? Are you going to dwell somewhere else One day the clouds will roll back. The
1: roll will be called up yonder. And our names will either be in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb's book of the living, or they won't. And if they're not, we will not dwell with God, at least not in this way. You must receive Christ. You must cling
2: to Christ. You must endure through hardship, clinging to him. Love him. By grace, says Paul, you have been saved through faith.
1: He says, and this is not your own. It's a gift from God, so you can't boast.
2: By grace, you have been saved through faith. And Lord, says the hymn, haste the day
1: when my faith shall be sight. When I will see Christ, that's what the hymn writer is saying. Bring the day on, Lord. Right now I have faith and I don't see Christ, not in a physical sense. But the day is coming when I would dwell in the tabernacle, when I will be the bride of Christ and I will see him, this God that we pray to and hear his voice. The clouds, he says, be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, as we heard just a few weeks ago. And the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I dwell in peace with Christ. But only if you know Christ, the God who desires to dwell with you do you desire to dwell with him i hope so let's pray father we thank you again that you're a god who has created in a way where you have desired to be in your creation not of it but in it you've desired from the beginning to dwell with a wicked people that you have desired to create a way for us to come through to you because you have dwelt in a man, in your son, with us, with this world, walked around in the Feast of Booths, God himself. I just, Father, I can't take it in. It's amazing. We thank you that that happened. We thank you that Christ came. We thank you that you long to dwell with us, Father. Make us long to dwell with you, please. Help us, Lord, to see that the Feast of Booths is a day coming when we will feast with you, when we will drink of the vine, as we heard, with your Son, Lord. Father, I pray this week as we go out into the world that you will cause us to remember this, that you will cause us to walk with joy, because there is a jubilation coming that we share with you. In Jesus' name, amen.